0: Welcome to this conversation of all days. I have your host for this conversation. I have laryngitis on the day that I am speaking to a man who has one of the best voices in the world. Our guest today is Mike Austin. He's internationally renowned. He is a worldwide star. He's known for performances all over the world. You name the city, Rome, Umberg, Stuttgart, New York, Moscow, Miami, Houston, New Orleans, Helsinki, London, Warsaw, you name it. He's been everywhere. But guess where he started? Mike Austin, welcome to this conversation. Where did you go to college?
1: Thank you so much, Teresa. I went to good old Emory and Henry College right there in Emory, Virginia. Yes, you and, did. Oh my God. And you know, I want to tell you that happened almost by accident. I'm graduating in about three weeks from, from high school, and a former graduate of Imran & Henry, Joe Stanley, whose father was the superintendent of Abning Schools, I understand, for 30 years or whatever. Joe was my assistant principal at my high school in Wytheville. And nobody knew that I could sing except one or two kids that I went to church with. And uh, for graduation, this friend of mine, Rhonda Miller, we were in the band together, she went to the committee who was preparing the entertainment for graduation. So why don't you ask Mike Austin? He has a wonderful voice. Does he sing? We know he plays football. She said, yes. He sings at our church every Sunday. His mother's a minister of music there for years, since she was 13. And so they asked me, and I sang and it. It opened up doors. And so Joe Stanley happened to see me one day, come down the hall. And my nickname in high school was Shep. They asked me, would you be willing to sing for graduation? And I said, well, I've never sung in the choir here or anything, but I'll be happy to do it. So when I sang that, Joe was excited. He saw me going down the hall one day. This was a few days before closing of school. He said, Chef, can I talk to you a minute? He says, uh, uh, what are you planning on doing with your life? What are you doing in the fall? I said, well, Mr. Stanley," I says, I don't know. I said, he said, you going to college someplace? I says, my parents can't afford that. I... Uh, I said, a buddy of mine, Jim Travis, and I applied for this airline school out in Kansas and was accepted. He said, You want to be a pilot? I said, No, that we, this will give us the, the training that eventually we would become possibly an air airport manager. And he says, Well, listen, uh, how would you like to go to Emory and Henry? I said, I don't know if I can even get in there or not. Again, the finances, he says, step, step at a time. Come on, let's go down to the office. So I remember him making the phone call. <laughs> on the other end of the voice was Henry Dawson. And he says, Henry, this is Joe Stanley up in Withfield. And they chatted for a minute. He says, I think I have a wonderful prospect for the college. said, he's a heck of a football player, a good student, wonderful citizen here in town. And I think he'd be an attribute to Henry Henry College. And Joe said, well, send me all his everything it needed, to, that I had to send SATs and all of these things. And he says, we'll we'll plan a day he and his parents can come and visit the college. And so that's how I ended up in Emory & Henry.
0: You got into Emory and & Henry, and the rest is like worldwide history. Yeah. I've known your name since I came to Emory & Henry 35 years ago and can't believe that I'm getting to talk to you. But best of all, tell me what you're going to be doing on Sunday, October the 15th.
1: We say in Germany, a album, a recital. I'm going to sing some arias and I'm going to sing some uh, Italian literature, maybe some Mozart or whatever. And I'm just going to have a, a fun day for about an hour. Yes. And I got a call the other day from my captain of my football, 73 football team. We had a winning season that year and they're going to be there. They're going to, they're being also honored on Saturday at the football game. And I was a member of that team. They wanted to make sure I was going to be there. And he says, we've been reading that you're also the next day going to sing this concert and the whole football team is going to be sitting there.
0: I hope the whole football team gets their tickets quickly because well, I'm afraid they will run out. I've just got to say <clears> this. <throat> you get, you you correct me if I'm wrong, you get tens of thousands of dollars for a performance.
1: Well, I had to work my way up to that, but yes. yes.
0: That is astounding. Now,
1: Step at a time, step at a time and have a dream. I said, I remember going through the neighborhood, all over Withfield, mowing lawns for a dollar and a half a yard, a, a lawn. I said, that's where it all started. I said, I was seven years old. The old lawnmower, you wrap the cord around the thing and pulled it, mixed the oil and gas together. That's where it started. You cannot be afraid of work. You've got to be able to do anything because it prepares you for the next step.
0: Well, so that concert is on Sunday, October the 15th. That's you great. will be performing here. But I want to go back to, you're talking about the football team. Mm-hmm. When you were on the football team, were you also, how good were you? And were you also in the music department?
1: Well, I was a starter. I was a linebacker. And that's that's the tough guy on the defense side. And uh, it was so funny because a lot of the guys called me Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, because on Thursdays was choir practice. So Coach Hughes would allow me to leave 10 minutes early to go shower and get ready to go to choir practice. And they just says, you know, this guy, what's the deal? He's killing us on the football field, taking our heads off. And then he goes to choir practice. (laughs) So they would tease me about that, you know. And uh, so I was known as Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde uh, in the dormitory sometimes. Because
0: that's called busting the stereotypes.
1: Exactly. You know, Were there it, any
0: of your fellow players who thought that that was just not befitting of a manly man on the
1: football team? Well, I mean, they teased me about it. But uh, when I got enough, uh, they know I would take it out on, on the football field. So that stopped pretty <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> You, you <laughs> live
0: in Germany now, correct?
1: Yes, I live in Berlin. I've been in Germany. I lived in Stuttgart for a number of years. I was the leading tenor in the of Stuttgart for 10 years. And then my agent thought that, uh, he says, you know, I I chose this city simply because of its reputation. It's one of the richest cities in in Germany because of Mercedes and Porsche and so forth. Because I had been offered contracts. All this happened by accident. I came over uh, to visit my newlywed wife. She made her debut in Italy, Trieste at the time. And I saw five performances of her. She was wonderful. And I remember meeting this colleague of hers, Robert Hale, at the New York City Opera. They did Carmen together. And he says, if you guys ever over in Germany, give me a call. He was much older than us. He'd had a wonderful career, Uh, American, Robert Hale. And uh, so I'm sitting there in Trieste and remembering what he had said. And I told my wife, I said, listen, uh, remember Bob made us that offer. He set up an audition with his agent. And she said, yeah. She says, you still have his number? He said, give him a call. He's a great guy. And he set up the audition. It was Friday. He says, can you get here by Sunday night to audition on Monday? I said, I'll be there. I looked at the train schedule. It was 14 and a half hours. I got my train ticket, went, did the audition. So the agent says, oh, very good, Mr. Austin. Uh, How much time do you have? I said, I only have about 10, 11 days. He says, oh, I can't do much for you. I, I said, well, thank you very much. He said, no, but wait a minute, wait a minute. We'll talk. He's Where are you staying? And I told him around the train station, he said, Oh, be careful. And so he called me the next day. That was the days when they would come up to the room, knock on your door, and say, You got to call downstairs. So he had 10 auditions set up in Hamburg all the way down to Munich. I had 10 auditions and got nine offers. And so I would call him. I said, Oh, there may he says, Don't sign anything, please. He says, I'm the agent. You know nothing about the system. So I got nine offers and Berlin. Uh, uh, Hamburg, Düsseldorf, Dresden, all these big cities. And Stuttgart was the last place. I remember going out of the train station, looking around, it's a wine city. And it sits in a Kessel and wine mountains all around. I said, boy, I could live here. And I said, I gotta sing well. And they made the offer. Then when I called him, he said, we take Stuttgart. I said, but why not Hamburg? He says, trust me. He says, Stuttgart is one of the richest cities. I can get you more money. They don't work you to death. You'll do a few performances. You have a wonderful monthly salary. And I can guest you all over Europe by being the leading tenor in Stuttgart. You won't have to audition. They say, well, if he's good enough there, we'll hire him for our house. And it, that's the way it happens.
0: My goodness, okay, now that did not happen just after you graduated from Emory &
1: Henry. First of all, I went out with Dr. Davis. I love that man so much. He's closer than a father. He and I and Mark, his son, Mark, rode up in the back window, I'll never forget, all the way to Bloomington, Indiana, to audition for Margaret Halshaw, this famous voice teacher at the time, and I was accepted. But then my father got sick, and I felt like I needed to stay close home. I got hired at... uh, Reynolds Aluminum in Bristol. And my father passed after about six months. But uh, then they made me an offer there. He says, you know, we see that you went to Amron Henry and you also studied biology. And so we need somebody to take over the, the lab here. And so I did that for a while. Then they wanted to send me off to become a plant manager. They were going to send me to Illinois someplace. We'll train you for everything. And he says, we like you. You have the type of personality. You have the background. Then I knew I had to really decide what I wanna do in life. I remember calling a friend of mine that we had been to Brevard together, along with Janie Hicks. We're all colleagues there at Brevard. And she recommended uh, the Academy of Vocal Arts in Philadelphia. So I called, got an audition, and I remember borrowing my brother's car, drove from Bristol, Tennessee, all the way to Philadelphia, changed clothes in a gas station, took a drink of water, walked in, And sang three arias, and they accepted me. (laughs) It was just an act of God, I'm telling you. Just everything in my life. That was the Academy of Vocal Arts in Philadelphia. And most of those kids there had been to finishing schools and everything and had done roles. And I was totally new. I was just straight out of Emory and worked for a year and a half at Reynolds Aluminum. And then now I'm mixing in this group. And I'll never forget, they used to sit around before classes started, telling about, oh, I was at Santa Fe, and I did this, and I sang Rodolfo and, and I was the only one who never said anything. So finally, uh, somebody says, well, Michael, uh, what have you been doing? I said, well, you know, I haven't done I haven't done anything, really. I went to Emory Henry, and I sang Don Jose and Carmen. Well, how did you get into here? And one of the girls says, have you heard his voice? <laughs> That's how you got in here. <laughs> Let
0: me see if I can get through a reintroduction here with my creaky voice. In this interview with one of the best voices in the world that comes from Mike Austin, my guest today, Mike Austin, internationally renowned tenor on opera stages all over the world. And he's coming to Emory & Henry on Sunday, October the 15th for an afternoon recital. Tickets are available if you go to Emory & Henry McLaughlin Center for the Arts, and you'll find a way to buy a ticket to hear this world-renowned, wonderful man who started it all in his college days at Emory & Henry. Which is more fun, being on the football field or being on the stage?
1: Well, at the time, the football field, but after I started hitting the international scene, there's been nothing like it. I don't get hurt anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I don't get beat up. I don't get bruised. I just have to warm up the voice and say a little prayer and go out on stage and do the roles. And uh, now my son's doing the same thing. It's just amazing.
0: I was just getting That was my next question. You oh, preempted right? it. Tell me about your family.
1: Well, I have a wonderful son and daughter. My son now is uh, one of the principal singers at the Metropolitan Opera in New York. Oh, my goodness. And he's been selected by a two or three new composers that are doing their works all over the world. They've chosen my son to do the lead in their opera. As a matter of fact, my son is in London right now making a recording. And he's he's, he's very hot. He's already sung two or three major concerts in Carnegie Hall. My you know, goodness, what is his name? A Justin Michael Austin. Just like <clears throat> Leonid Resnick, one of the, the great sopranos, sang back in the early 50s well when i got to stuttgart in 1985 she was still singing but she was singing mezzo because her voice dropped down a bit but she was still beautiful elderly woman and i made my debut with her and she told me after she says uh he says beautiful voice he said but you won't know this role until you've done it 15 times and i was thinking 15 times what she meant by that you're not just singing a role, but you become the role. You learn the language. You learn the period. You become a great actor. And this is what the top uh, uh, conductors and directors look for. The, the football player is gone now, and he's walking with a limp because this particular character had a limp.
0: Tell me about your wife. Is she still
1: performing? Well, uh, it's my ex-wife, the mother of my children. Now, she got reflux. There And at the time when nobody knew what it was, this was several years ago, and she was, I saw her in Italy, and then she was over in Paris singing, and this agent was crazy about her, and he came and went to one of her performances, and afterwards he says, do you know you're singing a little bit under pitch? She says, no. He says, trust me, with your big, beautiful voice, it's very audible. We have to take care of that. I have all big plans for you. And so he went to a famous voice teacher there and whatever and it never got much better because it was reflux when she would sleep at night it would come up the acid and burn the vocal oh pool. my goodness nobody knew what it was a lot of major singers lost their voices because of that finally they detected and then it made medicine for it and so forth but she lost 10 15 years of a career yeah. but now she's remarried lives in australia and she sings with the australian opera there and she's doing a lot of things but to lose 15 years of your career calvinotti did a master class at Juilliard that she participated on that was the year before i got there i went there as a graduate student she was already undergraduate there and he said on national television when she got up and sang he says a talent like this comes along once every 100 years He says, this is, she's beautiful. The voice, the outstrawling, the personality and everything that she walks out, very few few people have that.
0: Next question. You said mother of your children. You talked about your son.
1: My daughter now, my daughter is a successful businesswoman in New York City. And her husband, wonderful. He's like a son to me. She met him. He used to work for her. She used to to go with drugstores. And then she got promoted over this. Other big major company, and she's the vice president of uh, of Leaf is the name of it. And this young man was born and moved to the states at nine years old. He's from Ghana, and so she hired him to work in one of her drug chains, drugstore chains. And so she wanted me to meet him when he got there. And the way he shook my hand, lovely man, I knew he was interested in my daughter. And I told my daughter, oh, daddy, come on. George is my friend. I said, I know. I said, but the way he shook my hand told me he's interested in you. And it was so funny. And they ended up marrying. Grandchildren? Not yet. And I want to be.
0: All right. Well, we won't go there. It's amazing. No no pressure on those children. Now, explain this to me, Mike Austin, (laughs) world-renowned tenor coming to Emory & Henry on Sunday, October the 15th. You obviously opened your mouth and had a beautiful voice when you were very young, but you had to do, you had to learn a lot to get to the
1: stage you are now.
0: What did you learn at Emory and Henry? And then what did you have to learn after that?
1: A professional, they have to have something special. And what I mean by that, Dr. Davis saw this and he wanted me to go to Bavard, students there. He says, Bovard has all these professional singers, Cheryl Milnes and people singing at the Met, and they teach voice for the summer. And he says, I want them to hear you. He says, I think you have what it takes. He said, but I'm here at Emory. I'm not in New York or whatever. He said, but I, I do know enough about voice to think this is a special talent, but I really want somebody in the business to hear you. So we auditioned, got into Bovard, and I started working with Cheryl Mills. And he says, well... Yes. He said, if you're asking me, do you have the God-given talent that after possibly 10 years of, of continuous study and acting and fencing and everything it takes to become a professional uh, acting singer on the stage, would people pay to hear it? He says, yes. He said, you have that unusual color of voice, the size and so forth that if trained? Yes. But do you want to spend the next 10 years doing that with no guarantee? This is the risk that you take going and become an opera singer. So it's your personal choice, but me as a professional singer who sung with Domingo and Pavarotti and all these other singers, he was telling me they don't have anything over you at all when it comes to talent.
0: Technically, what did you have to learn?
1: Well, of course, I had to continue what Dr. Davis had taught me about breathing, also not pushing the voice too much. The, The old singers used to say, Sing on the interest, not the capital, and I finally learned what that meant. And I worked with Lazlo Hollis, this old man who chose me at at, at, at uh, Juilliard. He he hired uh, Camilla Williams to sing Madame Butterfly in 1945 with death threats. If you hire this woman, you'll be shot from the back. And I I read the newspaper articles. Mayor Laguardia was the mayor. He says I support. Maestro Hollis, he's the general manager, music director. If he wants to hire these people, I support him. Even the mayor got threats back in there. Can you imagine this? And one of the tenors uh, from Texas said, I won't sing with her. And that all that was true. And uh, he says, no, he says, they're qualified, and I'm giving them a job.
0: You know what? We did not mention, this is radio, you are African American. You've been on the stage since the 1970s. Did you experience racism?
1: Well, I'm going to tell you, I, it was only one one situation that I sadly to have to say, that's what it was. And the soprano told me, I was singing with this beautiful soprano. She was already at the Metropolitan, and we were out in Omaha doing La Traviata, and it was so good. It, it, it won awards, and they put it on PBS, and it was a big hit and so she's from mobile alabama and very prominent family so they wanted to bring this production from omaha nebraska to mobile and we were all invited to come but i never got a contract i went back to europe fine i probably figured what it was and so she told me two or three years later she says have you ever wondered why you didn't do that production with us when all of us did and you were part of the success on pbs I said, not really. I've been very busy in Europe, but I said, I could imagine. She says, well, they did it for me. And at the board meeting, the chairman of the board, boy, this tenor, he's wonderful. Is he from Argentina? And uh, the, the manager says, no, no. Was well, he an Italian? No. Well, what is he? He's an African American. And he said, they all looked at each other and says, we can't have that immobile.
0: Oh my yeah. gosh!
1: That, that's the way it was. Now she's the she was from Mobile, and they were doing it for her. And she told me exactly she was at the meeting, and that's what they said. And uh, so I said, "That's the way things are." I said, "This just gives me strength to keep keep on going."
0: Right, that's and I'll take my show on the road and go to Europe, where I won't go to Europe where,
1: wherever it is, you know. And after <laughs> I got to Europe, I realized this is where opera is born, and all the cities especially the German-speaking cities, it's state-subsidized, meaning for the last 150 years, anyone who works, a small percentage goes to the arts. And they've never never said no to this, because if they work eight hours a day, nine hours, and they want to go to a drama that night, a live drama, if they want to go to the symphony, if they want to go to the opera, they feel like it should be there for us. And they're willing to do that, to pay that little bit.
0: Mike, I want to ask, you said you had to learn to perform on the interest, not the capital.
1: There's a difference in, I also worked with Nikolai Gedda, this famous Swedish tenor. He'd come to the Met, I was at Juilliard, and I'd go over and work with him. And I remember the first day we worked, we were doing La Rondine, which had not been done in, in in America in the last 50 years. Hollis chose me to be the tenor, so I worked with Gedda. And our first coaching, he said, all right, Michael, start singing. And I started, no restate, yet. he said, Michael, 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 what are you saying? What are you saying? So I looked at the text. I said, well, this beautiful girl is coming by. and I'm so infatuated. I'm trying to get her attention. He said, would you be screaming like that? <laughs> and so I thought about it. And it was like, it changed my whole mood. That's what I meant. You sing what the composer wrote. If he writes a pianissimi, you sing a pianissimi. These great composers also knew voice. And that's what about singing, like uh, Gedda told me. He says, you know why I've been singing 40 years on the road? He said, I sing on the interest and not the capital. And most composers wrote the music like that. He says, a tenor has one climax in the opera, at the most, even in the Wagner operas, too. He said, the rest of it is parlando on tone, speaking on tone. The soprano may have the lead. Let her have it. The baritone may, have, and he said, when it comes time to sing your aria, you go out and knock them dead, and the rest of it is speaking on tone. He said, that way you'll sing 40 years. Beautiful.
0: Okay, here's the other question that I want to ask you. In amazingly enough, Michael Austin, opera singer, in all the material that I read about you, nowhere did it talk about your experience at Reynolds aluminum <laughs> and well, nowhere did it talk about mowing yards. My question well, is, you know, no what, one
1: ever asked me about it. It was just something you did. You know, I needed work at seven years old and uh, my father helped me get this used lawn And he said, no, go out here and make your money. And what other weird.
0: formative experiences when you look back on your life and go, this was big, this was a fundamental part of who I am now what what comes to mind?
1: Well, probably, uh, to be honest with you, singing in church where my mother was ministered music, because at age five, I had to start singing, because so she said, come on up here and sing something, Mike. And she started at 13, and she died at 98, and she played that piano as an organist until two weeks before she died. So for 85 years... All that church knew was that she is the minister of music. It's amazing. So used to, she used to play for all my concerts. And I remember in my first grade, I think it was 1959, 60, whatever. Back then, the schools in Wythe County were segregated. And so all the black kids went to Scott Memorial from the first grade through the 12th grade. And uh, so they had a talent show. And so my teacher entered me in it. And uh, my mother was going to play. And uh, so it came time to me to go out on stage. I was up on stage. Wearing my father's wide tie and style was the narrow tie. But uh, I was as wide as I was tall, I think, if I remember correctly. And one lady says, what is your little boy going to do? And my mother said, oh, he's going to sing. And the lady says, when he goes out there and sees all those people, he's not going to sing. She said, you don't know my little boy. So sure enough, I walked out on stage and I stopped. She says, I put my hand up and looked at all those people for a minute or two. So she just started playing. And I turned back to and looked at her, and she said, go ahead. I found my three hill on Blueberry Hill. So anyways, that Fats Domino song, and I won first prize. Well, six of years course years you did. The competition was 17 and 18-year-olds. I'll never forget. Yeah. Just for
0: a contrast, that was in your <clears throat> church. What's the largest crowd you have sung for?
1: Oh, gosh. Uh, well, a few years ago, I was invited to come to China to sing the lead in this Chinese opera, Mulan Zam. I only had three months to learn it in the Mandarin language. So I called a buddy of mine that we started the Institute God together. He had moved to Berlin. He was Chinese from, from Peking. He said, Michael, the only way you have a chance of this is you move to Berlin. Stay with me for three months. And we work nine hours a day. He says, I think you may be able to do it. And I did. It was a big success. This beautiful Asian star that she was, oh, I mean, the biggest thing ever was. She was Mrs. Xi Jinping and still is. Oh, OK. And she said, just call, me, just call me a Penny. She said, you won't be able to announce my Chinese name. But we have pictures together and everything. And I have pictures of us on this 20,000 seat uh, people's hall there that dignitaries and they have everything else. Where they had this opera there. So we stayed in touch until three years ago. She would, yeah. She would send me a Chinese new card. And I'd send her Christmas, and she finally wrote, "Michael, I'm sorry. I have to break our contact. My husband's going to be president for life, and I'm not allowed to have this Western contact." Yeah. Oh my goodness. This is GGP. And
0: yeah. the answer was twenty thousand people.
1: Twenty thousand people. Yes.
0: Twenty thousand people from your church in Withville, with yeah. your mom on the <laughs> piano, to twenty thousand people on 20, stage. Twenty thousand people. Michael Austin. Oh, my goodness. What a delight to speak with you. I
1: thank you. You are so wonderful. I've heard so much about you, but I I feel honored to have this interview.
0: Oh, no, the honor is mine, but the honor is going to be for people in this area to come see you Sunday, October the 15th, Emory & Henry campus. Go to Emory & Henry website, McLaughlin Center of the Arts or ehc.edu slash mca. Pardon my creaky voice, but it's all averages out fine today with the voice of Michael Austin on this interview. This is This Conversation. If you're just tuning in and want to go, oh my gosh, what did I miss? You can go to our podcast site, just Google WEHC, This Conversation, and you will find the post. And Otherwise, you can hear This Conversation Wednesdays at 6, Sundays at 2. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. See you next time.